0: This morning we're considering the third in a series on the good life. Um, Kevin Andrew have introduced that topic to us over Easter with some terrific messages on the bases of the good life. Uh, I'm sharing uh, this morning on how you get it and then Kevin Andrew will continue that series with an emphasis on joy and peace as we follow through to the conclusion. The good life, how do you get it? Easter was a fantastic basis for this topic because I believe that Easter shows the most important areas of the good life in the clearest, most exacting, in some ways, very sacrificial terms. The good life starts, I believe, as a Christian, as a believing Christian, the good life starts with God, uh, a relationship with him that allows us to be secure in his love and free in his grace. Uh, The good life starts from the love of God within us, changing our view of ourselves, because he created us and made us, we're actually okay. And that can change every day of our lives, how we get up, if we're more secure in his love. And that love was never more clearly expressed than around the cross, what we were commemorating and celebrating at Easter time. But at Easter we also moved uh, uh, in Sundays emphasis to um, resurrection. Out of God's love and grace comes his sacrifice. We can often know how much a person loves us by how much they're willing to sacrifice for us. And we know how much God loves us because of the uh, depth of, of the sacrifice that God's Son made for us. And that highlights to us the the second most important foundation for the good life, and that is that we need help. Uh, We can't do it ourselves. Um, It comes from God, but the most important help in one special sense that we need is that we need forgiveness. We need to be redeemed. We need the opportunity to start again we need to live in the humility of the fact that we are actually redeemed ratbags. I don't mean that in any drastic sense, um, but we live gratefully with the fact that we are not alone. We don't need to do it ourselves. We need some help. And Easter and the way we celebrated and commemorated that time of the year actually... Laid the foundation for the good life, but how do you get it in real life? what kind of um, areas of life make a difference as to the quality of life that we we have? One interesting thing that uh, I've followed over many years is that uh, psychology over the last twenty five to thirty years has had an emphasis on what's called positive psychology, begun by a guy by the name of Martin Thaligman uh, when he was the president of the American Psychological Association. And in his presidential address, he drew psychology to an emphasis on what, what works in life, what, what actually are the key ingredients of the good life, of well-being, health, vitality in living. And having studied that over most of those years thousands, maybe a million studies uh, trying to discern what works best. My probably biased because I'm a Christian but my summary uh, of the findings are um, read the Sermon on the Mount and that's what will bring the good life and The more you go after it directly, the less likely you are to achieve it. Uh, In other words, you need, in gospel terms, to give life away in order to be able to find it. A pivotal passage for us as we consider how you get it comes from uh, Romans 14 and verse 17. And this is from the NIV. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, This morning we're dealing with the first of those three. Uh, Righteousness and peace and joy will be considered in the following weeks. Righteousness. Uh, What is right? Um, So the good life actually has to do with um, ethics. It has to do with um, what is right and what is wrong in the sense that we have a loving, gracious God who created us and shares with us the best principles to live life effectively. And that there is uh, a paranarrative, if you like, of Christianity that actually sets out good guidance on what works and what doesn't work and what is good and what is evil uh, in other words the good life has to do with values and so i ask myself as i ask you what are you what are your what are my key values in life uh, am i likely at some stage to have to work out that what I really set my heart on or what I went after hard isn't paying the dividends that I thought it was going to pay? Or is it possible that as we grow older, we actually um, recognise more and more in gratitude that um, the path that God has guided us towards is actually the best way to live? If we want a foundational passage for the whole area of values, um, uh, then we need to go first of all to the fact that values come out of our heart. Um, the Bible talks a lot about the heart and uh, the heart is the, the centre of who we are and therefore what we go after, what we, what we do. Um, There's an important passage in Matthew 16 and verses 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So uh, the soul is the spiritual part of our heart, which is the centre of who we are. And it's talking there about uh, values in our soul being the ones that will make life work effectively. Uh, Jesus was asked on one occasion, so what is the most important part of righteousness? Um, what's the law all about? What's all of the Old Testament history uh, basically able to be summed up through? And he gave what is a very well-known answer and I think an absolutely brilliant answer. This is in Matthew 22, 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, if we want to live a good life, if we want our lives to be full of health and vitality right to the day of our death, then we will put God first. And that will be the key value that we love God. We're for God because he not only created us, but he is intimately involved in this world and will bring this world to conclusion and he's on our side. And this will be the greatest passion of our lives. But there are two repercussions, offshoots of this that Jesus draws into this greatest commandment. Uh, One which is um, almost incidental but very important is, uh, and it comes out of um, our being loved by God and therefore loving him, that is um, being for him, knowing that he's for us, that we actually change our view of ourselves and we are for ourselves. That doesn't mean that we're narcissistic or self-centred. It just means that we know we are valuable. We know we are okay because of God's love and grace. And again, as I said earlier, that can get us up differently each day because of that strong sense that although flawed, we are grateful that we are redeemed bags, and that we actually can live, therefore, with a different view of ourselves. And the third, which comes also out of loving God and then probably changing our view of ourselves, is that we love our neighbour. We actually become other-centred. And that's one of the major themes of the studies from psychology on what helps life to work well. The people who live most effectively are other-centred people, people who love their neighbour or care about others because they know God cares for them. We know um, God is on our side and we therefore have the capacity personally to reach out to others. I've been amazed during these very difficult days when we've been having to adjust to the coronavirus, that one of the almost silver linings, or one of the positives that has come out of that is the fact that people are are actually looking out. People are looking out for their neighbours. It's been interesting to Marg and B, because uh, we live in a, in, a, in a block of units and... Um, um, uh, we, we actually, I'd like to congratulate whoever the family were that um, sent the note to the other people in their, in their street just saying, um, we're here to help if you need some help. Um, Marg and I did that. There's, there's probably 70 or 80 units in our block of units. So we just did up a little note, got permission from um, the committee and distributed it. And we've had about 20 replies um, people either ringing up or people um, texting back or talking to us personally, people are, whom we never talked to before um, saying, thank you. Haven't had anybody ask for help. That's an interesting one. Um, so that um, what we've done was potentially just in guidance from, from um, Kev as he shared this and also... Um, the brilliant initiative of that family, um, we've potentially opened up a different way of relating in the block of units that we live in. So that there's even a possibility that the the culture will be a kinder, uh, a friendlier, a warmer uh, culture than had been before. So that in all of the dilemmas and heartache and terrible trauma that this coronavirus is bringing on many, many people, one of the opportunities is for us to look out for our neighbour a little more than we have and that will actually, or not why we do it, but that will feed back in to our own heart and our own soul and our own vitality. Uh, I would be remiss if I if I addressed the good life and didn't actually recognise how important it is for every one of us to have hope in order to live effectively each day. And uh, that's one of the themes that uh, I'd like to um, inject into and others are injecting into this whole present dilemma I notice that our government, and I believe our government is doing a great job in the way they're guiding us through this at the moment, But our government is aware of the fact that people who have been so badly affected and can't get up very effectively or healthily or optimistically each day just need some hope that we'll get through this and that there will probably not be a snapback, but there will be a revitalisation And my hope and prayer is, and I think it's quite possible, that we will come back as a community and even as a nation and as a world to a kinder, gentler, softer way of relating. So every one of us needs that kind of hope. And when it comes to the good life, we have an incredible hope. And the hope is expressed many, many times by Jesus and right through the whole of the scripture. And that is that um, whatever life in this world brings us, there is actually a better life open to us. And it's not that God is going to punish badly people who don't want him, it's just that those who don't want God to be in their future, he's not going to force his way in. But those of us who say, yes, we're with you and for you, there is a time when Revelation says, no more sickness, no more sadness, no more death. There's actually something that can get us through this difficulty by holding on to the promise and, I believe, the reality of better to come. But it's not only better in terms of um, uh, the future in heaven. The, the Bible's also very clear about the fact that the first fruits, the down payment of that good life is available today. And it's available through the Spirit of God, through the forgiveness of God, it's available through the opportunity that we have to live each day in the love of God as security and the freedom of God through his, his grace. And, and therefore, our life can be changed in its quality and its character today through the hope for the future. One beautiful passage that expresses this hope very, very effectively, and, and I'm I'm not going to um, read it for you, so, so relax. Um, uh, I'm going to just highlight a couple of passage, passages from within this Romans 8, 18 to 28 um, message translation. This is um, Paul expressing uh, in beautiful terms to the Roman churches uh, the fact that um, this world is pregnant with anticipation about a new birth into a new opportunity for the good life. But that there are the down payments and the signs through the Spirit of God of the reality of that through God's Spirit in our life today. Uh, So that God's Spirit is arousing us from within, you will find right in the middle of that Romans 8. Passage, And then right towards the end, and I love the way Paul sums it up, that's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Can we really grab hold of that and live that? That's why we can can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Good. That's what we hang on to today in some very difficult circumstances. You, you may gather that, as I share with you about this topic, it's more than just an academic or a theological, theological or a message to be presented. This actually is, for me personally, absolutely crucial. I... I still would say that even if the rest of the gospel doesn't prove to be true, and I believe more firmly every day that it, it will be true, but even if it doesn't, it's worth living the way God has asked us to live because it actually works. It's countercultural, it's counterintuitive, but it actually works. There was a time in my life, and I have said this briefly before, it's a long time ago, um, before I um, had uh, any training for ministry, I had a uh, a reaffirmation of my faith. And that was basically on on the basis of Jesus and who he he is and what he could do. And the way he saw life, it just opened me up. I was on a, a somewhat different path. Um, I just qualified in commerce and that was very enticing for me. And again, let me say uh, nothing wrong with commerce, but my values were going in a very different direction. But then I was asked the question, who is this guy Jesus? Are you willing to be a follower of him? And the key truths and values that he expresses. And over a period of time, I said Again, because I'd been brought up in a Christian home but drifted away, I've said again, yes, I am. I, I don't know where I'd be today except for that reaffirmation of faith and coming back to those love and grace issues of the good life. I am a redeemed rat bag. And what I've found out is that it's not a boring life it's actually a life that has a great deal of fun to it as well, that you can travel light. It's, it's the best way to live until the time when the new world is revealed to us. It's actually incredible fun. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for your love, allowing us to be secure In you and in ourselves. Thank you for your grace allowing us to be free to start each day and maybe each hour and each minute afresh because we need to, and you give us that opportunity. Thank you for your spirit within us, redeeming the time, even the times in which we are living at the moment. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have each day to affirm the great hope that there is that you are bringing this world to a good conclusion. Thank you that in you we can live the good life. In Jesus' name, amen.